journey into the Bible and explore its hidden text and rich wisdom. Join Adol Kazilski Mondays at 1 p.m. for the trip of a lifetime. A beautiful good afternoon, Monday afternoon, Shavua Tov. It's the last week before Rosh Hashanah, which means this is the last week that we are going to be learning for a little while because we will be very busy with the Yamim Taivim. And we are going to continue learning in the book of Genesis, Parshat Vayechi. And uh, we've started now understanding uh, Yaakov's last will and testament. He had a chance to know that he was going to be passing on. And so um, he's starting to gather his family around him uh, to give him, to give them his blessing and his thoughts and his direction as to what legacy he wants to leave behind. Last week we spoke about the fact that he called Joseph first, Yosef and his two sons, Menashe and Ephraim. Um, there was quite a mix-up over there. Um, that we discussed, that um, uh, Yosef believed that he should have been blessing Menashe first and then Ephraim, but in the end Ephraim got blessed first instead of Menashe, all for good reason, and I urge you that if you did miss that podcast, that you go back on chayfm.com and you can always follow on those uh, those uh, shows that you have missed. In the meantime, we're going to trudge forward. We're going to try to cover a couple of, of our verses. If you are at home or you are following in, which would be marvelous, we are on chapter 48, and we are going to start on verse 21. Chapter 48, verse 21, we're in the middle of, of Parashat Vayechi, which is the last parasha of the of the Torah. Vayome Yisrael el Yosef. Now um, Jacob is talking directly to Yosef. Until now he has given Yosef two sons the status of tribes. We explained how they became tribes. Menashe and Ephraim became tribes. And now he's talking directly to Yosef. Hine anochi mate. Behold, I am going to die. And it will be that God will be with you. God will return you to the land of your forefathers. I've said this not once, not twice, but a million times, only because the Torah has said this not once, not twice, but a million times, right throughout the, 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 the dialogues of Abraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov, um, and now Yaakov passing it on, to to the, the the to the rest of the generation to the Jewish people, the land of Israel belongs to the Jewish people. We got it because God deemed it so. It was given to Abraham. God promised Abraham to, uh, when Abraham walked the length and the breadth of Eretz Israel. He said, "This land is yours forever, for all generations to come." Abraham made sure that that message got transmitted to Yitzchak, Yitzchak to Yaakov, Yaakov to Yosef. Yosef to the tribes, and so down, down the nations. And it has been our ancestral homeland for close on 4,000 years, five year thousand years. There is no dispute about the land of Israel and no resolution at the United Nations, no leader that can come up and decide otherwise can tell us what to do. The land of Israel belongs to us. And quite interestingly, I have to share just uh, yesterday 
on my Instagram feed, I saw a census that came through about um, the population of the Jewish people. And very, very interestingly, now we can see that the majority of Jews, the biggest Jewish population is once again in the land of Israel. Absolutely fascinating. In fact, I'm calling it up as we speak, just to share it with you. There are 6,930,000 Jews in Israel. America comes a, a, a second, 6 million, and then it drastically drop, drops to France, Canada, United Kingdom, Argentina, Russia, Germany, Australia, Brazil. Those are the top 10. South Africa comes in 11th at 52,000 with the least amount of Jews in a place called Uruguay. But again, what we can see over here of all the Jewish people now, for the first time in history, we have come back to our ancestral homeland and six, nearly close seven million Jews are living in the land of Israel. And we know that it's growing exponentially um, with a tremendous amount of aliyah from from various countries. And I, yeah, I think that moving forward within history, we are going to see it becomes bigger and bigger and bigger. And that's the blessing of the land of Israel. Jews belong in the land of Israel. We are connected to the land of, of the land physically, spiritually, emotionally. Um, you know, our, our, our national psyche is very, very much connected. And our Bible is full of these inferences. And here again, when we are learning um, what Yaakov is saying to Yosef, he is promising that God will be with you, that God will return you to the land of your forefathers. What Yaakov now does, though, is that he goes and, and he's going to begin dividing up the land amongst the tribes of Israel. Every tribe received an inheritance. And what happened was that inheritance went down the line of the father, not the mother. We know that in Judaism, religion follows the line of the mother. If your mother is Jewish, um, you are Jewish, irrespective if, God forbid, um, you know, they're, they're, your mother married out of the faith, you are still Jewish. If you can show your mother's mother, going back generations, um, um, that they were Jewish, then you are Jewish, there's no need to convert. So religion is designated through the line of the mother, inheritance and um, other legal um, entities are through the father. So if you um, were born into the Shevet of Reuven, um, that being your father's house, you would um, land up inheriting a portion in Reuven if you were a male. If you were a female, if you married, say, somebody from the house of Yisachar, then your inheritance would then move to the, the, the Shevet of Yisachar. So every single one of the 12 tribes landed up getting an inheritance in the land of Israel. One could then just ask, what happened to poor Yosef? Because Yosef's two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, got Yosef got nothing. And here's what's interesting, verse 22: I am going to give to you, Yosef, the city of Shechem, achad alachecha, one more than your brothers, ashelakachti miyad ha'emoiri v'charbi u'bevakashti. And that Shechem was I took it um, from the hands of the Amorites with my sword, 
and my bow. Um, and you will have one more portion than your brothers. <clears throat> now, what's interesting is that this is, in fact, correct. Yosef had taken over the birthright. Um, Reuben had lost the birthright. Yosef had taken over the birthright. And Jewish law is that um, the firstborn gets a double portion. His first portion was vicariously through his sons, um, Menashe and Ephraim. But now he gets his own portion. He gets a double portion, one more than the brothers. He gets the city of Shechem. Now, this is actually unbelievable because um, Shechem has been a very, um, a very difficult uh, city. It has been fought with a lot of troubles and tribulations. Even today, in 2022, the city of Shechem still brings a lot of 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 of, uh, of negative, what should I call it? negative infighting and 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 arguments, and we're going to discuss this shortly after the break. And I, of course, as always, love to hear your comments or any questions that that you have. But we're going to be discussing the city of Shechem. Hi FM, your station of choice since two thousand and eight. I'm Adel Kozulski, and you're joining me. We're following the blessings of Jacob. And just before the break, we spoke about the fact that he was giving them the, the, the city, well, giving Yosef the city of Shechem. So the Midrash enlightens us a lot as to what was the significance of giving him the city of Shechem. First thing is, is that we are told Jacob said to Yosef, I am making you go to all this trouble to bring me to Hebron for burial. I, however, am going to give you a burial place too, and that will be the city of Shechem. And as we know, Yosef's caver is in Shechem. Now, where, where did Shechem come up before? Well, we know after Shimon and Levi massacred the men of Shechem, you remember when they abducted um, Dina, what happened was all the kings of Canaan came out to fight against Yaakov. And if you remember, Yaakov girded his sword and bow. He did battle. He conquered Shechem. And he says, I'm now giving this to you. Now, Shechem was not an Amorite city. It was a Chivite city. Um, it was not one that belonged to the Amorites. But when we talk about the men of, when we talk about the nations, the seven Gentile nations of the land of Israel, um, Amorite um, was the strongest, the most powerful, the Amori were the most powerful. And therefore, even though it really technically did belong to another of the subsects, and let me just tell you the six, there's the uh, Amori, the Chivi, the Chiti, the Prizi, the Knani, the Gergashi, and the Yevusi. Those are the seven, um, the seven nations that lived in the land of Israel. The Amorites the, uh, uh, um, were the strongest. And so that's why Yaakov speaks about that. Now, remember, there's another very interesting parallel into giving um, Yaakov particularly Shechem. What happened in Shechem? Shechem um, was the place that, and the king and his son who took Dina, it was Yaakov's daughter, and they raped her. 
and it that made Shimon and Levy really mad, if you recall, and they destroyed the place. What was what was uh, Yaakov really saying? He was saying, you know, since the great flood, one of the things that all the nations of the world were very careful to avoid, that um, one of the things they were very careful to avoid was sexual immorality. What happened with the people of Shechem, they violated this taboo when they took Dina. Now, there was a similar situation with Yosef. Yosef um, landed up in Egypt, and we spoke a lot about the fact that there was a lot of sexual immorality um, that was going on. And we know particularly when it came to Potiphar, Yaakov's wife, who tried to seduce him, it was a whole big story, the, 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 the level um, of immorality that was found there. But what happened with Yosef? Yosef did not succumb. In fact, he um, came up on top and he managed to stay away from, from, uh, from, in, from being brought down into perverseness. So what Yaakov was saying, since Shechem was the place where they violated um, and raped Dina, and we cleaned it all up. And since you carefully avoided sexual immorality with regard to Potiphar's wife, Shechem and you will, you know, you deserve to inher inherit Shechem. Shechem and you are a good, good partnership. More than that, and even further, when Shechem, the son of Hamor, tried to entice Dina, um, one of the ways that he tried to, and I'm putting in inverted commas, acquire Dina, was he bribed her by saying, I'm giving you the city of Shechem as a gift. Now remember, again, going back, who was Yosef's wife? Yosef's wife's name was Osnat. Who was Osnat? Osnat was the daughter of Dina. Some say that she was the product of the rape um, that she had. If you recall that um, Yaakov hid her under a bush and said anybody who marries her will know that they're marrying into the descendants of Yaakov and that um, she was bought um, by Potiphar's household to be a servant there, some say to be a sex slave there. Um, but nevertheless, going back just from a legal point of view, Dina was promised the city of Shechem. Osnat is Dina's daughter, and therefore um, what Yaakov was telling Yosef is that now you can take possession of the city as part of your wife's estate. It's called Nixe Melog. Um, that was the one thing that was given to Yosef. Coming now into 2022, you see many, many times Shechem is not under Israeli rulership. Um, it is actually a very, very dangerous place to visit. Um, and there are many instances, every so often, you will see it on the news, that the Arabs have a, uh, an intifada against Yosef's caver, against Yosef's burial place, and they burn it to the ground. Where they burnt it to the ground, Jews, under a lot of Mesirat Nefesh, under a lot of self-sacrifice, will come in. They will rebuild it, restore it, only for it to be vandalized and destroyed again. And 
it really, in a sense, on a physical sentence, a physical uh, sense, makes 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 no sense. Why why would there have to always be this wrath that um, our our Arab brothers um, tend to put on by Yosef? And at the same time, why is it that uh, Jews under Messiris Nefesh, under self sacrifice, do so much to try go there? And to pray. Well, Yosef, um, as we will learn now, um, and this really has a lot of messianic connotations, Yosef is to be the first, well, Yosef's lineage is to be the first Messiah. There is a Mashiach ben Yosef, and then there's a Mashiach ben David. There's a Messiah that comes from the house of Joseph, and then there's a Messiah that comes from the house of King David. Mashiach ben Yosef, we are told, is a, a, a Mashiach or a Messianic time that will bring in the physical existence, the physical redemptive process of the Jewish people, which we are categorically seeing before our very eyes by the very fact that I told you that 6.9 million Jews now live in the land of Israel, which is unbelievable. Imagine a mere 70 years ago, there wasn't even 600,000 Jews. Um, I think we were... We were, we were just under that. And 140 years and, and 200 years ago and 2,000 years ago, there were hardly any Jews living in the land. 6.9 million Jews in the land of Israel is indicative of the fact that the time of the redemption has started, that we are being reinstated back to our fatherland, to, to, to where, where we belong. And there is this subconscious, a spiritual um anger that is coming out from our Arab brethren in that the fact that we now do dwell in the land and they put it out on poor old Joseph time and time and time again. So it is actually quite interesting how various separate ideas and, 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 and um, happenings in this world are actually, if you really take a step back, you will see that there's a lot of... Um, uh, coming together of all of these ideas and things start to make sense. What else did Jacob give? Yosef, the Midrash tells us, he gave them the garments of Adam HaRishon that he had taken from Esav um, at the time um, of the blessings. Again, to remind all our listeners, Adam had, a, had, 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 a, had clothes, had garments, that were very, very powerful. They could subdue all the animals um, of, of the world, and they smelt of Gan Eden, and this garment was passed down through the ten generations between um, Adam and Abraham. It famously, and I'm not going to go through each person who got it, but it famously landed up in the hands of Nimrod, Nimrod being that king that Abraham went against and whom um, Nimrod threw Abraham into a fiery furnace because he went and said, why are you serving idols? And, and Nimrod was considered a god because of these garments. When he went out to war, things just, sub, you know, just became subjugated to him. And people thought he had godly powers, but it was in truth these garments that uh, Nimrod had that caused him that. And then Asaph went out and he killed Nimrod and he took those garments and he became a very, very uh, powerful hunter 
when Yaakov came to steal the birthright and take the blessings, um, he landed up getting those garments and he took them away. Took he, he actually, just a step back, he walked into Yitzchak's room with those garments. Um, and you remember that Yitzchak said, um, I can smell the smell of Gan Eden, that the hands are the hands of Esau, but the voice is the voice of Yaakov. We went into it again in a in a very, very deep way. You can go back on the podcast to, to find those recordings. But the smell of Gan Eden came from the fact that Yaakov had those garments. Who does he give them to now? He hands them and bequeaths them over to Yosef. And really at the end of this verse, he says something interesting. He says that, I took them, I took Shem um, out of the hands of the Amorites through my sword and through my bow. Now, this kind of like makes Yaakov, you, you start thinking that Yaakov was in fact a, what you call it, a, a warrior. He really wasn't. He was a meek and mild guy. Do you remember that he was a very studious guy, he spent his days in the tents. For tzaddikim, when they talk about the sword and the bow, weapons are prayers and good deeds. And that's how he defeated his enemies. Um, and even when one has to physically battle, having uh, prayer, tefillah, and doing good deeds is of vital importance. So he was telling Yosef, I captured the Emorites. And again, just going back there. Remember, we said that the Emirates was indicative of all the seven nations of the world. All the seven nations of the world in Kabbalah represent uh, the klippah, represent the negativity of the world. And um, the capturing of the seven nations physically was symbolic of capturing the seven negative um, influences that we find in this world. And so he uses the Emirates, the most powerful, saying that he managed to capture them through his prayer and through his good deeds. So giving Shechem to Yosef was of a, of, of, it, it, was, it was a huge gift. Um, and it's something that has trickled and moved through our entire history. Now, you recall that Yaakov asked Yosef in the beginning to do him a true kindness. And we spoke about what is a true kindness. It is when one attends to the burial of a fellow Jew. Why is it a true kindness? A chesed shal emet. Because one doesn't get paid back. There's nobody to say thank you. So the question here that can be asked is, how is it now that it appears that Yaakov is giving Joseph a significant payment for his kindness. And we can answer that Joseph did not have any idea whatsoever that his father would give him a gift. Um, he took it upon himself as his father requested. And so it still remained a true kindness that his father that did in fact reward him was, was beside the point. So all in all, um, you know, Yosef left Yaakov looking very pleased, very happy, Okay, um, number one, um, he had received an incredible blessing for his sons. He had got his own portion in the land of Israel. He had got the garments. He had got things that were really, really very, very valuable. 
Sadly, we hear that when the other brothers discovered that Yaakov had been blessing Yosef, they became quite jealous. And why were they jealous? Number one, because Yaakov had blessed Joseph's two sons, and he had not done so for any of his other grandchildren. And they actually came this time, and they didn't go and do anything horrible to Yosef by throwing him away or selling him again, but they came to Yosef, and I mean to Yaakov, to complain. And they went and said, like, what are you doing? You're blessing Yosef. Are you not going to bless us? Are you not going to bless our children? To which Yaakov replied, fear God, you holy ones. For I promise you that those who fear him will lack nothing. You will lack nothing because God watches over those who fear him. And this is, I just want to touch touch base on, on, on this that Yaakov said. Because this is something that I think drives a lot of ego in this world, drives a lot of the um, the battles that we see, both on a personal level and on a national level, on a community level. You know, people people believe that there is a finite amount of anything and everything in this world, and one needs to you know lay one stake. And one needs to ensure that one gets what is due to them and even what is not due to them. Some people go to unbelievable lengths to go get more and more and more and more and sometimes take away from others um, in, in quite vicious manners. Torah comes to teach us that um, in truth, that which belongs to you, you will always get. And that which you don't have, it's not for you to have. Um, and all you need to have is fear of God. It's spoken a lot in a book called Shar Habitachon, uh, The Gate of Trust. And it talks about there extensively that, for example, and this is very fortuitously because we, we're coming up to Rosh Hashanah now when we believe the books of life and death and of blessing and of, of, of everything is opened up. We pray to God for a, a, a year of livelihood, of parnosa that we have money um, and we are taught that all the money that you are going to earn for the year is decided on Rosh Hashanah and you're going to get that money. Um, you obviously have to make a keli, you have to make a vessel, you have to go out and work, you have to do what you have to do, but you don't have to overcompensate at the same time. Don't undercompensate by saying, okay, well, if God decided that I'm going to get 100,000 rand this year, I'm just going to sit down and wait for the 100,000 rand to come. That's not the way the world works. But I think more on the other side of the pendulum, um, don't overcompensate, don't overwork, don't get jealous when you see somebody else doing well or doing things, because you will get what it is that is due to you. And what do you have to do in order to to, to ensure that God's blessing comes to you, you need to fear God. You need to trust in God because those that fear God have nothing to fear because whatever belongs to you is yours. And it is a very, very powerful, powerful idea to ruminate on now, Erev Rosh Hashanah. What you have in your possession, small or large or anything in between, has been bequeathed to you by God for you to use in this world, for you to be a servant of God, for you to use your physical surroundings and your physical things and your money um, to serve God better, yourself, 
your family, your communities. In fact, I was only reading uh, last night in the Book of Trust, said that probably one of the greatest tests that a person could go through is a person who is wealthy because their God is asking you to be a very big bank manager for him and to disperse to those that are less fortunate in a much bigger way. Erev Rosh Hashanah is coming up. We look at what we own, what we have, what, what, you know, what God gave us. We should show gratitude, first of all, to that. And second of all, to know that in the coming year, God is going to allot whatever it is that he deems necessary for you. We're going to ask God that he makes it in abundance. But one of the things we need to know is that in the coming year, we should pay more emphasis on how we fear God and trust in God than in are we going to get that uh, that next paycheck or are we going to get that next increase or uh, what it is that I can do and it's not fair that this has got this person's got this and that person's got that. It doesn't work exactly like that. Let me know your thoughts. You can SMS on 34519 or our telegram number is 061-895-1019. This is 101.9 High FM. High FM. 101.9 megahertz of life. Right, let's continue now and let's see what happens with the sons. Vayikra Yaakov el Banav. Yaakov, now we're starting chapter 49, verse 1. Yaakov calls now to all his sons. Vayomer, and he says, He'asfu ve'agidalachem et ashe yikra etchem ba'acharit hayamim. Gather around and I will tell you what will happen to you in the end of days? Hikafsu. Hikafsu also means like come together. Veshimu bnei Yaakov, come and listen, sons of Jacob. Veshimu el Israel, avichem, come listen to your father Israel. These, this, this, uh, just this, these two verses are like absolutely unbelievable, and there's a lot to discuss over here. Firstly, Jacob's sons were scattered all over Egypt. And we're told that an angel had to come and bring them all together. Okay? Some were in the land of Goshen. Others were living in certain cities in the land of, of Egypt. And news came, as again I said last week, we derived kind of like a visual, a, a pictorial idea of just like, you know, the queen, um, all the all, all her family came to to Balmoral to be with her. Yaakov is now calling upon his family, wherever they may be, to come and listen to what he has to say. Now he says something interesting. Come gather around and I will tell you what will happen what will happen in the end of days. What was Yaakov's intention? His intention was to reveal to his sons the time of the final um, redemption and the rectification of the world, as well as the manner in which it would take place. He knew he was speaking to his sons. His sons were virtuous, virtuous human beings. Um, they would sadik him. And even if they knew that the redemption would be in the very distant future, he knew that they would stick to his teachings and they would, and, and would wait patiently. Okay, and so he wanted to tell them when Mashiach would come, when the Messiah would come, so that they would have merit for waiting every single day, even though it would take in a long time. Yaakov had very good intentions. The divine presence, God thought, 
otherwise. It says that the Shechina, the divine presence, the, the spirit of prophecy left him, and the mystery of the final redemption was hidden from him. Not only from him, but it was hidden until today. Nobody knows when the redemption is going to come. We've got certain parameters knowing, are we in a messianic time or are we not? And uh, I just was speaking earlier about the fact that the very fact that we've got the land of Israel back after 2,000 years is no, no, nothing less than messianic. Um, and that we are in the throes of the birth pangs of the Messiah and of bringing the world to a better place. We've had the Holy Lubavitcher Rebbe of blessed memory who said, um, and, and everything that he has said has come, has come true through prophecy, he has said that we are the final generation of the, of the Galut, of the exile, and the first generation of the Geula, of the redemption. We are going to see the arrival of Mashiach. But can you imagine 4,000 years ago for, for, for Yaakov to go and say, well, you guys are going to be wandering around the world for a long, long time and you're going to go through the Spanish Inquisition and you're going to go through the Khmelnikki massacres and you're going to be uh, going from one country to another and there's going to be a Holocaust and there's going to be this. And there's going to be... Can you imagine the despair? The divine presence left him and um, God willed that this secret would not be re revealed because quite honestly, if they sat in those times and even at this time, you know, you can feel despair. We've been around in, the, in, in, in exile for so long, you kind of want, can give up hope. God did not, want, um, did not want people to give up hope. So the Messiah's coming is one of the things that are hidden from all mortals. So we know, we've learned that and, and we, we, we spoke about that at length as well a long, long time ago. So while he could not tell his sons um, what would um, uh, when the end of days would happen, what Yaakov could tell his sons was what would happen in the end of days. So what did he tell them? Well, he told them things like signposts to look out for. He told them that there would be a great war that would take place before the arrival of Mashiach. That would be called the War of Gog and Magog. There is a tremendous amount of discussion around who is Gog, who is Magog, has Gog and Magog happened. There are certain great rabbis that have gone and said that Gog and Magog already happened um, in a large extent, um, being done in parts World War One, World War Two, um, were part of the Gog and Magog redemptive process. Um, others are talking about a very quick war, um, which would make sense today in terms of our nuclear, nuclear capabilities that are around the world. There is going to be a war, and the war is there not just to bring destruction to the world, but to eliminate the world of all the negativity and allow it to make place for the Messiah to arrive. So he spoke to them about the battle of Gog Magog. The Midrash tells us that he also told them how the Beit HaMikdash would finally be rebuilt. We are waiting for the third temple. We've spoken about that a lot. Um, today, Jews go to the Western Wall, which is the outer Western Wall remnant of the Temple Mount. Again, this is an area that is very fictitious today. Okay, you want to know why? Because it's steeped in all this history and all this uh, spirituality. And he also uh, told him that there will be a time when the third, when when the third Beit Hamikdash will be built with the arrival of Mashiach, that it would never again be destroyed. And then 
Yaakov turned, we are told, to God and asked God to concur with the blessings that he was about to give his sons. And he also prayed that God would answer his son's prayers whenever they called about him, uh, called, called, called God. And uh, we're told with that, the divine presence once again came and rested upon upon um, Yaakov, and he was able to bless each of his sons in an appropriate manner. Now, um, there was there's one thing over here, and this is probably a central idea that I want to leave you with, is that one of the things that Yaakov said to them, and this is from the Midrash, he said to them, since you are born of four different mothers, I am concerned that you might think that you have four, that you have different statuses. You might assume that Rachel's children are more dear to me than the others, and that they only will be considered my true offspring, and others will be uh, disinherited. Know that I am not like your father, your your grandfather, and my father and grandfather. While we know with Abraham, he disinherited Ishmael and Keturah's sons. We know that Yitzchak um, disinherited uh, Esau and gave the inheritance to Yaakov. Yaakov says to his sons, for me, I do not harbor such thoughts. Such a thing should not happen. You are all equal, and I want you to remain united. And with this, ladies and gentlemen, the sons replied the following, Shema Yisrael, Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem Echad, Hero Israel, Hashem is our God, Hashem is one. It is a verse in Deuteronomy, Okay, but if you want to know when it was first said, it was said now when Yaakov pleaded with his sons to remain united because Israel was his name. So he said, listen, Israel, listen, Father Israel, we know that God is our God, God is one. And with that, they were saying that our hearts are pure. We have that faith in God and we will remain united. Ladies and gentlemen, this is unbelievably powerful. For us as a Jewish people to move forward, we have to quit the faribles, quit the arguments, quit the, the, the anger, and remain united against all costs. And just to end, how did um, Yaakov respond to him when they said the words, Shema Yisrael Hashem Elokeinu Hashem Echad, he replied, Baruch Shem Kavod Malchuto Leolam Ba'ed, then may God's name be blessed, may his, and the blessed Blessed be the name of his kingdom and glory forever and ever. Now, there's no there's nowhere in Torah where you see the words Baruch Shem Kavod anywhere in Torah. We are told very interestingly that um, the angels um, use that in prayer in heaven. And when Moses went to get the Ten Commandments, he heard them saying, Baruch Shem Kavod Malchuto, and he came down to the Jews, and he, and I'm putting inverted commas, stole that idea, and he said to the Jews, you want to elicit God's blessing, you want to bring about God's blessing, well then, um, when the Shema is said, say that verse afterwards. And appropriately, because we are coming into to the Yamim Noraim, there is one time that we say it out aloud. Don't go away because I'm just about to tell you. This is 101.9 High FM. High FM, 101.9 megahertz of life. And when do we say Baruch Shem aloud? It is none other than on the day of Yom Kippur. 
So on the day of Yom Kippur, we become angels. We go without physical nourishment and we stand all day in prayer like, like we resemble angels. And therefore, when the Shema Yisrael is said, where we speak about unification of God in all areas, up, down, all around, unification of the Jewish people, we also say this verse aloud. And with that, I want to end and wish everybody, all the listeners, at, that listen to Chai FM, it should be a sweet and, and happy new year. May you all be inscribed in the book of life and be inscribed for all of God's abundant blessings. And this year, let's take upon ourselves not to get caught up in the humdrum of the negativity of what is going, be it that we don't have electricity or there is inflation or there's a war. Leave that all up to God, right? Let us go into Rosh Hashanah, into the Amim Noraim, with the attitude of how can I make myself better? How can I change? And with that, I wish you Shana Tovah.